If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ, and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, the miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts? This is the word of the Lord. Yeah. All right, let's start with the picture. Not that? Not that one. <laughs> that one. Yes. Okay, so this is a picture from almost 30 years ago. I can't believe I'm that old. That's when I was in seminary. And it's actually the first picture of, of me and Kirsten together. Camille, you should take note of this. First picture of your parents. Uh, this is just two months after we, we met in the fall of that year. And we're playing a game called Bullets and Barbecue. So, uh, yeah, I'm, if you ever done one of those role-playing games where it has a meal? Some of you have, some of you haven't probably like that. There's a lot of them out there, but I'm playing a Mexican bandit there in the front row. As you can see, my two roommates are with me and then a couple of our friends. And then uh, there's Kirsten on the right side. She's playing a mail-order bride, okay? Which is so funny to think that, like, I actually married the bride, uh, you know, four years later like that. Uh, but in order for this game to work, and we sit down to dinner, and we're all playing our parts, and you know, you, you, you go through the role-playing, and there are certain things you're supposed to say and do and so forth because you've got to discover who's the murderer, one of those types of games like that. And it turned out Mexican bandit me, I was not the murderer. But imagine for a second that I, I didn't play my role. You know, imagine if I just said, well, I just want to eat dinner, but I don't want to do the role. You'd say, well, that's not how the game works. And if you don't play your role, then the rest of us can't actually do the game. Well, I, I, the reason why I show you this, and now we can take the picture down, um, Gosh, I looked so young back then. Um, yeah, really, seriously, we can take that picture down now. Um, yeah. uh, the reason why I show that to you is because I think it's a great picture of what this series is all about. Because here in the series called Gifts, you have a role to play. That, that's what the series is about. It's about discovering what is your role in the body of Christ. And if you play your role, we all get to play with you. But if you don't play your role, that is, you don't know what your gifts are. Or, knowing your gifts, you don't exercise your gifts for the kingdom of God. We can't all play together. 
That's what this series has been about. And, and, and again, I've been saying this every week, but I, I want to do this again. I want to, I want to give you, once again, the impact of this, of this series on knowing your gifts here. There are three things, and, and I'm going to put them in an alliteration pattern so that you can keep up with it. First of all, it's to know your fruitfulness. Okay? First, it's to know your fruitfulness. You know, we, we've all been created to produce fruit. And the primary place where you're going to produce fruit in your spiritual lives, where you're going to have the most spiritual impact, will be in the places of your strongest gifts. Correlation always. So is is for you to experience fruitfulness and for us to be able to enjoy the taste of your fruitfulness. But second, it's for the purpose of feedback. When you receive feedback, this is external confirmation. These are people in your life probably along the way have said, man, you have such a generous heart. Or, or um, man, you are, like you have the gift of mercy. Like, thank you so much for your compassion, the way you're leaning in towards the poor and the powerless or for those who are down and out right now. You know, or maybe it's, it's another gift. Maybe it's a teaching gift, something like that. But you, along the way, probably have been confirmed in some place of gifting. And that's obviously a way for you to know, hey, this is probably an area of my gift. So it's feedback. But then finally, fulfillment. Fruitfulness. Feedback and fulfillment. If feedback is external confirmation, fulfillment is an internal affirmation that you receive. It's like, man, I am in flow right now. You know that term, flow? Like, I'm experiencing flow right now. Like, there, there's a, the, the spigot is open and the Holy Spirit is running His way through me, the wild spirit into the great beyond. Like, I'm experiencing fulfillment and a sense of purpose of what I'm to be doing with my life. That's why we're doing this series. That you would experience fruitfulness. You would have feedback. And there would be confirmation internally. Fulfillment. So today what we're doing is we're looking at this metaphor that Paul uses here. Remember, we've been saying that we're going to spend the balance of our series in 1 Corinthians 12 through 13. And essentially verse by verse there. And so now we're looking at the next section. And Paul uses this metaphor of a body. It was a common picture 2,000 years ago. But Paul uses it in a different way. And what he says is basically three things that we're going to talk about. First, he says, I want you to see how the gifts work together. I want you to see how they build unity within the church. Second, I want to show you that the gifts proclaim equality. That all people, regardless of who they are, have equality in Jesus Christ. Thirdly, he's going to show us, man, when we do those things, when we understand unity and we move towards unity, we experience equality, we can't help. But thirdly, shine a light on Jesus Christ. Absolutely, we're going to shine a spotlight on him through the gifts. And then I'm going to conclude by just quickly saying, how do we want to respond to that here? Okay? So let's jump in with the first thing, and that is how the gifts work together. Look at verses 12 and 13 with me. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Now, we didn't look at chapter 11, but if we went back there, what you would see is that in chapter 11 there was, a, there was an issue that was happening there. It was, there was a breakdown of social cohesion within uh, the church in Corinth. Basically, it was over the issue of the Lord's Supper or communion. And what was happening is that those who were socioeconomically better well off of a higher class, let's say, they were taking communion first, and then uh, those of a lower class were taking it second. And Paul is, is basically tearing his hair out. He's saying, this is what the pagans do. 
This is how they operate. But this shall not be within the body of Christ. This is not how we do things here. And so then he goes into what we talked about last week, which is verses 1 through 11 of chapter 12. And he's saying, look, the same thing is happening among the spiritual gifts. There are certain spiritual gifts. Remember the word there we talked about last week, charismata, charismatic, uh, the, the gifts, the charisma. There were certain gifts that, that seemed, uh, tended to make people more, more famous, more well-liked, magnetic gifts. And there were certain spiritual gifts, like speaking in tongues in particular, that was, that was being looked to saying, man, if you've got this gift, you, are, you, you clearly are in a higher spiritual plane. And Paul's like, absolutely not. Now, you can see what's happening. He gets to verse 11, and he's saying to himself, man, I want to take a deeper dive into this issue. I want to, I want to go into a deeper theological dive and so now I'm going to use this, this metaphor to explain in, in greater detail why equality, why unity is so important here, which is the setup now for verses 14 and 15, where we really get in now for the first time into the image of the body itself. Look at this. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. There are essentially three ways that we relate one to another as human beings. The first way is called dependence. And dependence, uh, maybe you've heard the term in psychological circles or counseling, therapeutic circles, uh, codependent relationship. And so what's true about a codependent relationship? Uh, You don't know where you end and the other person begins. There's like a a diffusion, as it were, which leads to confusion often. Uh, You don't have a sense of self if you've ever been in a, a codependent relationship, maybe you've met with a counselor, you might have said something like that. I, sometimes I'm not sure uh, where, what my sense of self is here. And, and so you, you know that you're leaning towards dependence relationally when you're in a position where you're saying, I need them to like me. I need them to, to give me the praise. I need the accolades. I need these things in order to feel better about myself, in order to feel like I have worth and value. That is evidence, right, of asphyxiation uh, relationally where you need someone to come through for you, and you probably have been around people like that, or you yourself, you would say, that's me, Scott. But on the other end of the spectrum is what we might call an independent approach to a relationship. Dependent on one end, you've got independent on the other. And independent, uh, the key there is that I don't need anyone. Like, I, like I, I, I have no problem advocating for myself. In fact, I advocate for myself at the expense of relationships with others. And all of us, by the way, all of us in here have a tendency towards one of those two poles. But what Paul says, what we should shoot for, and what the body metaphor is a picture of, is interdependence. What is interdependence? Well, it's really experienced in any healthy relationship. Certainly in the case of 23 years of marriage with Kirsten, when we first got married, a few years after the mail-order bride arrived in my life, um, a few years later we got married and we learned two skills. And if you're married, you understand this. You learn navigation and negotiation, right? Navigation, how do you work your way through things, through crises and things like that. But negotiation is you have to decide when do I need to surrender my sense of self, right? And then when do I need to advocate for myself? In any healthy relationship, marriage or single, whatever, it doesn't matter. But in the case of us using that metaphor here, it's this picture of saying, look, I need to learn how to lean in and die to myself at the same time that there are other times when I need to advocate for myself. That's interdependence. It's connection, but with a sense of self. You follow? And so this is the picture that Paul 
wants us to see here, and he, and he begins with this first uh, picture of the body using the, the image of an arm. Now, I want you to think first. I want you to visualize an arm. It's not hard to do. There we go. Uh, what, what's true about the arm? Uh, and you've never seen, uh, at least I hope so, you've never seen an arm detached from a body. Right? And so what, what do we know about the arm? Well, the arm is distinctive from the foot, Paul says. But the arm, in part, takes its identity from the fact that it is attached to the rest of the body. You, you see how that works? So the arm is, has a separate identity, as it were, but in part takes its identity, takes its functionality, its meaning, its purpose, as it were, from how it works with the rest of the body, that sort of thing like that. And Paul goes through a number of verses here. I'm not going to look at them all for the sake of time, but he shows us in various different body parts what he means by that. But here's the goal. Here's what Paul's saying. The goal is unity. It is to, to experience that we are different, and yet together we, we create something. Prior to Christmas, I took Kirsten to see Handel's Messiah. Okay? Now, I know some of you have seen Handel's Messiah. It's actually an incredibly long production. Thank God. They don't do it all. At least they don't do it at Atlanta Symphony uh, Orchestra, Woodruff Hall. So uh, my point in saying all that is when we get there, we settle into our seats. Sometimes what happens is we'll listen to some of the different instruments playing. So what are they doing? They're warming up. If you've been to a symphony before, if you've been to some sort of orchestral performance, you've seen that, where there'll be people uh, performing their individual instruments. That's fine, but it's no orchestra. It's no symphony. But then the conductor takes the stage, takes the bell, we're all clapping. He does this. And suddenly, there is a sound that wasn't there before. Suddenly, there is beauty in the room in a way that could not happen with individual instruments. Together, they are greater than the sum of their parts. You see, They together create a beauty that wouldn't have been there otherwise. And the only way that works is that they have to work together. How many of you, well, actually, you don't have to do the show of hands here, but a lot of you, I'm sure, were in band in high school. Middle school, maybe, high school, college, whatever like that, remember? And you remember, like, you're learning your instruments, and, you know, you're playing, and suddenly you realize you're out of tune? Or, or I know it was never you. It was always someone else, right? But you know what happens. Suddenly, like, you realize you're not making music together. And you hear that screeching noise that's a little off pitch or whatever like that. And, and what Paul's saying is, man, when we are in rhythm, man, we, we are playing our part the way that we're designed to play it. We make music together. We create beauty together, he says. He says, but don't lose sight of also our differentiation. Look at verse 17. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? We have five senses. And what Paul says is that, man, if you only got one sense, man, yeah, you know, you smell really well or you can see really well, but but you're missing so much. I, I want you just for a second, I want you just for a second, I want you to picture what would this church look like if everyone was just like you? Think about that just for a second. Maybe it's a very painful image. I don't know. But, but here's the reality. There are some things that we would do really well. If everyone was just like me, for instance, there are certain things we do incredibly well. And there are certain things we would be absolutely terrible at. And what Paul says is, man, 
I, you know, if we just want to hang out with people who are just like ourselves, we'll get just ourselves. But if you start hanging out with people that are very different from you, they begin to challenge you. Their differentiation begins to, at first maybe, glance. It sort of kind of makes you step back a little bit here, right? But then you, you realize, man, I need that. You know, you've heard the phrase, opposites attack or attract, right? It's one of those two, the only two choices. And, and so, so when we experience differentiation, it isn't always necessarily something that we appreciate. Paul knows that. Paul knows that we're human beings. He's like, but we should long for differentiation, all sorts. Sociopolitical, racial, linguistic, political, cultural. And his world 2,000 years ago is very similar to ours, believe it or not. When you look at the Greco-Roman Empire, when you look at a city like Corinth in particular, man, it's so much like Atlanta in so many ways. Very diverse, the city of Corinth. Very cosmopolitan. And what Paul is saying is, we don't need uniformity, we need unity. Unity. Let me say that again. Unity is not the same thing as uniformity. The body of Christ should look radically different, countercultural, to how our tendencies are, our sinful tendencies are, is to just be like attracts like, just to hang out with people like ourselves, as it were. And what, and what Paul then goes on to say is, look, when we're not exercising our body part with that differentiation in mind, like the rest of the body hurts. A couple months ago, I was seeing a sports doctor. I had an injury from about a year ago in the gym, and it started to get better. I thought, like, the pain went away, the inflammation went down, but then it was sort of like my shoulder just sort of locked into place. So I go to the sports doctor, and he's taking me through these various exercises to figure out what's going on to diagnose me. And this look of surprise comes on his face. Now, here's a guy who told me he's been doing this for like 20 years. And he has a look of surprise on his face that stands out. And so he says to me, he says, if I look surprised, it's because I rarely see this condition in men. That only about one out of 20 cases are in men. He says, usually I see this in middle-aged, thin-framed women. So I go home, and the first thing I say when I walk in, hey, cursing my inner woman has come out. Um, it's called frozen shoulder. Who knew? And what had happened is, there's three phases, by the way. There's inflammation. And then I was like, oh, yeah, then it locks into place. And thanks be to God, as the new year begins, I'm in the thawing phase right now. So things are looking up for my shoulder. But let me tell you, and this is what was true during the time when it was frozen, locked up, and, and you've had this experience properly with an injury as well. Like your, your muscles, it's called guarding. Your muscles begin to guard from the injury and they begin to compensate. They begin to take over. And, and then you realize, oh my gosh, it's affecting other parts of my body. Like have you ever thrown your back out or something like it? Probably, we, a lot of us have had injuries over the years, right? And what happens? You realize for the first time how important your back is, number one. Number two, you realize how interconnected those muscles are to the rest of your body. I've been in PT before on stuff where I thought the issue was my back and they're, and they're messing around with my feet. I'm like, why are you doing that? And it's like, it's all connected. John Dunn was a, a priest or a pastor in 16th century England. He was also a well-known poet. His most famous work was one called No Man is an Island. It's a short poem. I want to read it to you because it says so much about the body of Christ. No man is an island, entire of itself. Every man is a piece of the continent a part of the main, 
If a clod be washed away by the sea, Europe is the less. As well as if a promontory were, as well as if a manner of thy friends or of thine own were, any man's death diminishes me because I am involved in mankind. And therefore, never sin to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. When we experience spiritually, emotionally, psychologically, physically diminishment in our bodies, if we're a good church, a healthy church, we experience your diminishment as well. And I think it's one of the things that I want to celebrate about City Church. One of our core values is, is wholeness and emotional health being a part of that. We, we, we hit that a lot around here because we, one of the key words around here is, as you know, integration. That, that mind, body, and spirit are, are integrated. That as we think about what our bodies tell on us, the body keeps the score, as one book puts it. And, and so what we we're saying there, what we're trying to do is say that we're made for integration. And if that's true within our individual bodies, how much more is that true with this body? So we, it's appropriate for us to feel pain when, when a part of our body is, is injured or it's missing. How does that apply to spiritual gifts? See, if, if you don't know your gifts, then we're missing you. And we should feel the weight of that. If you know your gifts, but you're not leveraging and using your gifts, not just, not just for city church, but between the Sundays for, for the nations, then we together should feel you missing that opportunity. That's how important it is that you would know your spiritual gifts. Know how... God has uniquely designed you among all the people of the world. And I love the, the, our mother church perimeter. They have this phrase they use called every member a minister. And, and I didn't grow up as a perimeter, but I was there for many years before we came here to plant this church. And, and I love that. Like there's a class we took on spiritual gifts. Like everyone took that class. Uh, we're doing a training on February 4th, as, as I know you're all coming to. And, but that was part and parcel to what you do at, at Perimeter. You learn what your gifts are. And then they say, man, how do you want to leverage them? How do you want to be leveraged for the kingdom and, and plugged in in places that, that you can experience flow in your life? So like, I just hear at the close of the first point, I, I, every member of minister, that it's not about those who are ordained. It's not about those you see up front necessarily. But you are called to be a minister. Every single one of you are called to minister in the kingdom of God. To use your gifts in a way that will be blessing to the nations. But that sets us up really for the second thing that, that Paul wants us to see. And that is that the gifts proclaim equality. Look at verses 21 and 22. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker actually indispensable. So remember, I said that the, the image of the body was something that was common actually 2,000 years ago. Everyone reading Paul in the letter would have immediately picked up on the image here. So in the, in the larger pagan world, the Greco-Roman world, it was called the body politic. Aristotle, Plato, other philosophers talked about this. There were various uh, Roman politicians who used this image a lot. And, and so they would describe how everyone relates to the emperor, how everyone relates to the governance of that community. 
But here's the difference. I've said this before, but nearly one-third of all those in the Roman Empire were slaves. Now, let me tell you the other part of that. Aristotle believed in that there, was, there wasn't equality, for instance. As a philosopher, he believed that the people were, were made to be slaves. And there were some that were made to be the head. What was the image that Paul says? He uses the images from the head, the eye and the head itself, the, kind of the, that directs everything, that controls everything. And he says, in the wider pagan world, they believe that if you have power, that if you have charisma, if you were at the top of your game, you're at the top of the echelon of that system, you have greater worth, you have greater value. And what does Paul say? Remember back in verse 13, he says, in the Spirit, we're one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. Because what happened in Corinth where you had people with power, socioeconomically, but then you had slaves, and they were all worshiping together. And what Paul is saying is you should worship alongside each other and see that though your seat in life may look very different on the outside, you are equal in the eyes of God Himself. This is the body of Jesus Christ. I love that the fact that this past Monday we celebrated Dr. King's life. One of my children was saying, what's, what's special about this day? I said, well, this is the day that he was born on Monday. And, and so we as a world now, really as a nation certainly, but, but we celebrate Dr. King. We celebrate his gifts as it were. Now, it wasn't just about Dr. King. It was Reverend Ralph David Abernathy, the other ministers. There were non-ministers like John Lewis and and others, but you know what they all had in common? Other than being African American, you know what all they had in common? They're all committed to the body of Christ. They're all committed to the local church. You see, there wouldn't be no civil rights movement without the church. And it was it was members of the body. It was Dr. King and other ministers and those who were not ministers. It was members of the body of Christ who were reminding other parts of the body that you're out of line. There's something, there's a gap here. In other words, what they're doing is exactly what Paul's doing 2,000 years ago. They're saying, this cannot be. There's this quote that Dr. King had that, it's very quick and short here, but it's so good. He said this, not everyone can be famous, but everyone can be great. For greatness is determined by servants. You got it. Same thing Paul says. Don't look to charismata. Don't look to charisma. Don't look to that which makes you famous. Yes, the world celebrates narcissistically, celebrates absolutely those with magnetic gifts. But you are not to be like them. This is why, by the way, this is why he says, no, Bring honor to the parts of dishonor. Why he says here in the verses 21 22, he says, to the parts that are quote unquote weaker, that's what he's getting at. Those parts that don't have charismata in the greater sense, in the public sense, he says, to those parts, we bring honor. We remember equality. We remember that it's not about your, your, your seat in life, as it were, here. Listen to how Martin Luther put it. Martin Luther King was named after the pastor and theologian Martin Luther. Listen to how Luther puts it. The sun does not say that it is black, 
The tree does not say, I bear no apples, pears, or grapes. That is not humility. But if you have gifts, you should say, these gifts are from God. I did not confer them upon myself. One should not be puffed up on their account. If someone else does not have the gifts I have, then he has others. If I exalt my gifts and despise another's, that is pride. The sun does not vaunt itself, though more fair than the earth and the trees. It says, although tree, you do not shine. I will not despise you, for you are green, and I will help you to be green. Why have you, why have you been given gifts? Whether you've taken the test and you know your gifts or or that's to happen yet, why have you been given gifts? In part, it is to celebrate the quality. And the only way that it can happen is for you to see, as I said last week, that the gifts were given in part, they're gifts by design. They're not something that that we created in and of ourselves. They were being given to you, which should necessarily humble you. And then you realize, oh my gosh, I've been given this gift. And out of humility, you say, how could I possibly hold on to it myself? I need to give it away. I need to give thanks to God by giving away out of gratitude to those made in His image, to serve the image bearers of God. And listen, as I said this in the introduction, if those things happen, we understand unity. We get equality. The third thing happens naturally, necessarily. We shine a spotlight on Jesus Christ. Verse 12, he, I'm not going to go back and read that, but there it says that we are in Christ. He says the Spirit has been given to everyone that we are in Christ. So he identifies this is not the body politic. This is not the secular pagan version. This is Christ Jesus. He shines a spotlight on him. And then uh, towards verses 23 and 24, after this, he, can, he kind of delves deeper into this idea of weakness and how these parts that are, that are covered up, that, that we tend to dishonor, that seem smaller in power, that sort of thing like that, are not as attractive, right? He says, no, these parts deserve honor. These parts that seem weaker, these, these parts need to be advantaged. He says this in verse 25. Follow that. That there may be no division in the body, but that the members may, listen to this, may have the same care for one another. Fine, Scott. More of the same. But how does that relate to Jesus Christ? Paul wrote another letter. If you're in the DNA group right now, you're about to study that letter in Philippians. And remember, in, uh, shortly therein, chapter 2, he says, though he sat at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, he took on flesh and became one of us. And Paul writes a hymn to celebrate that. And what does it say? It says that he disadvantaged himself. Now, now, how could he disadvantage himself to become like one of us to take our sin on? Because first, to disadvantage yourself, you have to have advantage. Jesus Christ was living advantage. Jesus Christ was perfect in all of his gifts, perfect in his power, perfect in himself. He lived the life that we're intended to live, and then he dies the death that we should have died. Why? So that we who are disadvantaged might be advantaged. You see, the reason why you have your gifts and the reason why your gifts by definition and by design were intended to go out into the world is that you were advantaged by Christ. When you look at your gift assessment and you see your top three gifts, I want you to see advantage. 
Because left to your own devices in sin, what you're going to do is turn that into a superiority complex. Look down on other people, but instead, Jesus comes down and disadvantages himself to advantage you. Tells us the point of the gifts. Your gifts were given to you by advantage, by power, so that you would disempower yourself that you might advantage others. And when we live that way, all of our needs are met because we're so busy meeting each other's needs. And so I can take my gifts, apostolic, prophecy, teaching, some of the other gifts that I've been given here, and I can, I can leverage my gifts to bless you. you see. But see, you've got gifts. I won't tell you who, but I'm meeting with someone tomorrow for lunch. He's got gifts and spades that I don't have. And I told him the other day, help me. I literally I said, help me, I need some help here. Like that. So, I mean, it's, it's a two-way street, you see. And so, I want to ask you again, towards the close here. What are your gifts? Do you know your gifts? And are you willing to disadvantage yourself? To serve, not just this church. It's just one local aspect of the body of Christ. But to leverage your gifts for, for the nations. To disadvantage yourself, to bring advantage, especially to those who tend not to have power. Or you know are are hurting somehow in in some way to say, I want to bring advantage to them. I want to bring power. I want to bring blessing for them. So here's where we're going to close. Here's where we're going to close. It's this. When we do that, do more than theology, but we act on our theology, that is counterculture. And we become a people formation. And, we, and we, we live out of our gifts. We were formed, but we also form the image of Christ to the world. You see, people will say all the time, we'll say, like, okay, I can believe that Jesus is a historical figure, I guess. But what difference does it make? You see, the body of Christ, being the body of Christ, forms a picture of Christ. People viscerally and three-dimensional can see who Jesus is. That's why it's so important for you to not only know your gifts, but use your gifts for the body of Christ. So here, here's where I want to close. How do we want to respond to this? Just one thing here. It's in verses 27 through, through 31. Now, I'm not going to read that section to you. If you go back, you'll see that he talks about all these different gifts. So apostles. These are the original apostles, but then also those who have what's called the apostolic gift. Basically, if you're an entrepreneur in here, you've got an apostolic gift, creating something where there wasn't something else. So the, he says there are those with apostolic gifts, prophecy, teaching. He begins there because this is sort of how the church gets off the ground. This is church planting, as it were. This is how how things get going, as it were. But then notice what he does next. He he starts talking about the gifts of service. And his whole point in doing that is to say they're all equal. They all have different places uh, in the play. Bullets and barbecue. All have different roles to play. And some are begin things. Some start things, but we all have to play a role. And if we don't, we can't play together. But then he says this in verse 31. He says this, but earnestly desire the higher gift. Now, commentators have said, wait a minute, Paul, you just got through talking about the qualities. Now you're talking about the higher gifts. What does it mean there? Well, the English translation here is a little bit disquieting, I, I realize. But in the original, most commentators say the same thing. It's a misunderstanding. What it means there is to take your gifts higher. See, here's the reality. You're going to, if you haven't already, you're going to take this assessment, because I know you're going to do it. 
You're going to take this assessment and you're going to learn about your gifts. But here's what's going to be true about those gifts. They were given to you in seed form, but you've got to develop your gifts. You know, if, you, if you've got the gift of teaching, guess what? You don't just knock it out of the park. You, you've got to, just like everything else, you've got to, like you go to the gym, you've got to train your muscles. You've got to train your gifts, as it were. Believe me, 25 years ago, first time I ever preached, believe me, it was a train wreck. And so I had to train my gifts over a period of time. And, and God willing, I, I think I'm doing better 25 years later. But here's the point. You've got to train your gifts. Those are called the spiritual disciplines. This is where you're saying, God, in my life daily, through prayer, through reading the scriptures, through the community, through finding out how can I unleash my gift, Holy Spirit, uh, put me on mission to the nations. Let me use my gifts here at City Church. Let me use my gifts out on the streets. Let me use my gifts in my workplace, in my neighborhood. Lord, take my gifts. Leverage them for the kingdom. So, earnestly desire. That's the response. You didn't earn your gift, but yearn your gift. Earnestly desire moving forward today. Make a commitment here in the new year. Say, I'm not going to just learn what my gifts are. I'm going to train my gifts. I'm going to experience my gifts. I'm going to take them to a new level. The Holy Spirit wants to do that in you and through you. He lives in you if you're a follower of Christ. But he's not going to do it for you. You've got to join with him in that aspect. And so I invite you, friends, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of our high king, Train your gifts. Lean into your gifts. Create unity because of equality. Shining the light on Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this passage that reminds us uh, that we are part of something bigger than ourselves. We're part of the body of Christ. Jesus, we thank you for that you gave your body. You disadvantaged yourself uh, to, to place advantage on our lives. The, eternal life itself. And then on top of eternal life, then you, you gave us gifts in abundance that we might turn around and advantage others who need our gifts. So Jesus Christ, through your Holy Spirit, we invite you in City Church in 24. Would you unleash us for your kingdom? Would you send us out on mission? Jesus, we open up our hearts. Would you help us to have our gifts trained. Would you give us wisdom? Would you give us direction? We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.